1: My goal in therapy practice is to engage in real, authentic conversations that help prompt self actualization and growth. The true essence of Buena Vista is that all we want is to live a good life. Valeria interviews Megan Kasabe. She is a practicing therapist for 10 years in South Florida. She has worked in healthcare, community mental health, nonprofit, and most recently, private practice. Buena Vida Wellness Incorporated just celebrated its third birthday. Megan believes that we truly cannot achieve health without mental health. And in a world where support services are hard to find and in demand, Megan's goal is to make mental health support accessible. Meet Megan at BuenaVidaFL.com. Here's the interview with Megan Kasabe.
0: In your own words, who is Megan Kazabi? (laughs) Uh,
2: So I am a social worker by trade, uh, a therapist, um, if you will. I am more importantly a person who moves through life. I am a daughter. I am a wife. I am a dog mom. Uh, I am passionate about my community and the causes that are important to me. And I am a friend.
0: Mm, Yes. Ah, It's like the colorful human experience. It is. (laughs) Having all these sides. um, It's beautiful. What inspired you to become a therapist?
2: I was, so I kind of went through a couple of different career ideas growing up. So long story short, when I was five years old, I was diagnosed with leukemia and I underwent chemotherapy and steroid treatment and a variety of other treatments for very, for five years in the very influential and developmental time in my life. I am also an only child. So when I spent time, I spent a lot of time in the hospital. I actually felt very comfortable in the hospital because it was what I knew. And so growing up, if you ever asked me what I wanted to be, I would say I wanted to be Dr. Gowda. So not necessarily a career, but a person. I wanted to be my oncologist because I just thought that he was the most amazing miracle worker, and uh, compassionate human being I had ever met. And as I got a little bit older, I realized that I didn't necessarily want to become a doctor, but I was very passionate about working with kids with cancer. And I wanted then at that point to become a nurse because I felt like doctors have a lot that they need to do. And I wanted to be able to get to know the families, spend time with people, and talk to them. So when I went to college, I was a nursing major. I did some rotations in in hospitals, uh, following and shadowing nurses and some clinical skills. And then in college, I realized that I really just like talking to people and learning about their life experiences and bearing witness to the human experience for anybody Um, and when I realized that I started to look for ways that I could do that for the rest of my life and I found social work and I learned that social workers can be therapists and everything just kind of clicked at that point. I could be a social worker or a therapist in a hospital setting if I chose to. I could do, I could be in community mental health. I could work in a nonprofit. There were so many, it felt like the doors opened and there were so many options. And so I never necessarily set out to become a therapist, but it, my entire life kind of led to the point where I realized that that was what I was good at and that's what I was meant to be. In a way, it found you. <laughs> it definitely did.
0: Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It's a calling. You mentioned miracle worker. I think I heard the term before, but it's been a long time. What is to be a miracle worker,
2: Megan? So in in the reference of this of this doctor that I that I called a miracle worker was that it wasn't just that in my experience that he treated my illness. It was that he cared. He was present. He I looked forward to seeing him. So no matter the severity of the situation in childhood cancer is extremely serious. And as an adult I I see that more clearly than I did as a child, which confirms to me that he truly was a miracle worker because he made not just me feel excited and happy to see him or comfortable around him, but all of the adults around me as well. It was his persona.
0: It sounds very spiritual to me, somebody who is spiritually connected with their own higher self or the true self. That's what sounds like. I have other questions for you. I'll go back to that. I know you mentioned on your website, you mentioned Miracle Morning. I think that's the name of book that inspired you, right? So, it is. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It comes back again, the, the word miracle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I would love to hear that story, actually, now, if you could share. It. Sure,
2: about, about the book.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. The book okay. and the name of your company, uh, Buena Vida Wellness.
2: Sure. And they, they do actually go together. So... Um, <laughs> a couple of years ago probably about 5 years ago i was well into my career and i was just trying to figure out what was what was my purpose so it's it's like i i finished graduate school i did all of my hours required for my license i knew the path that i was heading down i was in my personal life things were coming together and all of a sudden i was this adult that that you know I needed to find a, a purpose in my life or so, I, I don't even know if I would call it purpose but maybe even like hobbies because uh, everything was always focused on school or activities or family time and, and I needed something as this adult to be able to to live my life for and learn about and so a friend had recommended this book to me and it's called Mir- Miracle Morning. And it is based on the premise that if you do these, this variety of um, self-help, self-care strategies every day that you will, you'll will be able to have clarity and be able to see, have your vision come to life of what you wanted your life to be. Um, kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel or, or to like fine tune the path that you want to work towards and a good quality of life overall. And that quality of life piece was what I was really looking for. I knew how to be a student. I knew how to be a daughter. I knew how to be a partner in a relationship, but overall quality of life, not necessarily having to do something, but getting to do something. Uh, was what I was really looking for. So I had a friend recommend this book to me, and I swear she had no idea that it was going to change my life. And I have probably recommended it to over 100 people since that time. And so it it's based on the premise that they are savers. And each letter of the word savers stands for something. And you do this every morning. You do your savers every morning. And, um, you know, you set goals and intentions, and it helps – it helps to figure out your path. So um, I started to do this and I felt so energized, so clear, so rejuvenated, so excited. And it was around the time that I had decided that at this point I'm ready to start my private practice. I feel like I have enough clinical experience that I can go out on my own and I can, I feel like I can competently and impactfully be a therapist for others. So I, you know, first first it was the idea, okay, I'm going to start my private practice. And that's a big step to go out on business on your own. And then it was like, okay, so you're going to do this, but what are you going to call it? And how do you find something that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, however long from now that you still love? And so I was doing my savers and I really, really focused on the intention of starting my private practice and what I wanted it to look like and what I wanted it to mean. And I was doing the, the V part of savers, which is visualization. And I was listening to a guided vis- visualization exercise. And all of a sudden, Buena Vida came to my mind. It just It was so clear so crystal clear. And it was just a literal translation, good life. And I thought that's, that's why people go to therapy. That's why people read books like Miracle Morning. Um, It's to live a good life. We are all looking for that. We want good quality of life. We want happiness. We want to be able to weather storms. We want a true human experience that is filled with equally with excitement and happiness as much as we struggle. And it felt so real to me and it felt so clear. So that was it. It was just Buena Vida. So I, I you know, I formalized it a little more and it was Buena Vida Wellness, Inc. Uh, when I, when I formed, I finally formed the business um, and the practice, but that's, that's how I got the name. Uh, my husband is from Argentina. So anytime um, he's bilingual English and Spanish. And so anytime the TV's on in our house, it's, on, it's in Spanish. I'm around his family, it's Spanish. I am proficiently <laughs> able to communicate. I'm conversational. Oh, yes. uh, but Buena Vida, just, it's, it doesn't matter what language you speak, you can identify with good life. We all yes. just want to live. Mm. a good life.
0: Mm. Yes, and that is so true. I would say that's the goal. I tend to define good life as, using the word that you used, happiness and peace, that most people would say that. But I would love to ask you more questions about this idea, the concept of a good life, having a good life. It's not the absence of challenges, right, Megan? No. Talk to me for a moment about that. How do we learn to balance life? Are we making peace with challenges? How do we get to this balance and still feel good about our experiences?
2: Thank you so much for asking that question, because this is the meat and potatoes. This is the core of what I talk about with friends, with clients, with anybody that I can. That happiness in a good life is not the absence of struggle. You cannot experience total wellness or mental health without experiencing hard emotions. We have to be able to feel sadness, anger, frustration, worry in order to appreciate happiness, excitement, um, pleasure, peace. So it it has to be that traditional scale of a balance. We need both. Too much struggle, no happiness, then people, we we define that as not living a good life. I live a hard life. Um, but living a good life doesn't mean it's not realistic to think that it's without struggle. Life, life can be hard. Yes. But when it's hard, how we weather those storms... Mm. Yeah. Allows for us to appreciate when things are smooth, peaceful, mm. contentment, going well, mm. success,
0: love. I guess my follow-up question is, how do we learn to deal with the challenges, the let's say the difficult moments, without losing ourselves for a long time or well, completely? Some of us do. Yeah, I would love to hear from you some of the strategies to deal sure. with challenges.
2: So, first I talk about awareness because without awareness, we can't do anything else. We, we become completely at the, at the mercy of our brain and what it chooses to do. And notice that I separate brain from our soul and who we are as a person because the brain does have the ability to run the show for, for a lack of better description. And so, it, the first step is truly awareness. Do you realize or are you aware of where you are emotionally? Ninety percent of the time, sixty percent of the time, Ten percent of the time. Can you feel happiness? What does happiness feel like for you? Um, sometimes it's pulling out experiences. Sometimes it's so far buried down in people's memories that we have to really dig it out. Tell me about a time when you felt happy? What did that feel like? Define the emotions. Um, so for that first step is that awareness, uh, because it's easy to lump a day together and I'll use a day as an example, as a strategy. When you ask somebody about their day innately, we say, Oh, my day was hard. My day was stressful. My day was overwhelming. My day was horrible. We, we, we just start kind of, um, programmed to have a negative response about our day. But really, if you go back and pick your day apart, how much of your day was actually hard? How much of it was stressful? Was it just your drive home in traffic that now you have that that stress on you? But was the rest of the day good? Did your boss give you a compliment today? Did you get something, a project completed that you've been trying to work for a long time did you have lunch with your spouse did you go on an adventure and then you had a moment that was difficult so it's breaking Mm. it's it's training the mind to break it down moment by moment not clumping everything together in a whole day Mm. or a whole month or in a whole year or a group of years Mm. yeah
0: so moments, not making conclusions, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what happens with trauma a lot. From my experience, I remember making, I had lots of traumatic experience in childhood and I remember making lots of conclusions, almost like that was the final destination
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> where yeah. I was. Oh, I'm just unhappy because of this. And then that was not really something that I was aware of. And then I, I love that you brought this up. Awareness is the, the number one, the first step to take. When it comes to the, having the good life, or learning how to navigate challenging experiences,
2: and learning how to be empathetic with ourselves, mm, yes, we we one. are our own worst enemies. We are our own biggest bullies. Nobody is ever going to say anything meaner or crueler to you than what what you think of yourself, and in, in those moments. So it's truly learning to have grace and empathy and understand that I'm a person too. I go through the full spectrum of emotions. I'm allowed to. I've had difficult challenges in my life, but look at where I am now. Too, and it, and I talk about me because I need to have that pep talk to myself, just like each of us do. Right,
0: that's a powerful, empowering practice. Would you say it's a practice, Megan, for life, or it's absolutely
2: a <laughs> in in my sessions? I talk about it being a practice and building the the muscle, the awareness muscle, the. Um, the empathy muscle, the compassion muscle uh, uh, and any of the, the strategies that I, you know, the therapeutic uh, modalities that I use, it's building those muscles. It's a practice. Uh, we can never be perfect at it. And, and I say to people, just because I'm a therapist does not mean I always have it together all the time.
0: That's beautiful to hear in the sense of um, passing that on um, that message that we are all humans Because we do have this idea, you're right. I used to think that spiritual teachers, they were perfect and they would never have a negative thought ever again. (laughs) Once they became enlightened or they realized some truth, then that would be the destination forever. But it doesn't exist. I've learned that they learn to actually ignore a lot of the content of their own minds although ignoring is not something that you would suggest <laughs> it's a good practice when it comes to spirituality, I guess uh, and speaking of spirituality, do you have any spiritual views of yourself in life as
2: a whole? i I come I go in and out of spirituality. Um, my background being so clinical really roots me in science and logic, but I've learned how to Kind of round those edges and appreciate things like using the word miracle. You know, young therapist Megan would not have used a word like okay. that. <laughs> um, yes. or uh-huh. spirituality, um, or soul, even. Uh, I would say, no, I'm going to follow that this therapeutic intervention to a T. And, and I think that that's a, a evolution for me and my human experience of what how I evolve as an individual and take those practices and helping others to evolve. So I do, I do feel that spirituality is important and at, at whatever spectrum or place it belongs to each person.
0: You made me think about A Course in Miracles. Have you heard about this book? I haven't.
2: Yeah, that's something that came
0: to mind immediately when I heard, when I read about you and, and you mentioned miracle, the word today twice in two instances. And then I read about the miracle morning and then I got a course in miracles. That's a very popular spiritual book. And with that in mind, actually, I will ask you a question about, if you don't mind, about miracle or miracles. How do you define a miracle? What is a miracle to you?
2: I think that a miracle is subjective and it's based on where a person is in their life and in their challenges and the outcome that they can manifest for themselves or see. So when I think of somebody who is going through a hard time and then They feel like they catch a break or they get that job or they get that relationship or meet that person or find that hobby. And it's, they can, we often view those things as this is in my life for a reason. This has stepped into my life. I'm so thankful that it did. And I think that we have a lot more control or power over how we see a miracle yeah. Because of what we put out there into the universe to allow it to come to us.
0: So it's subjective. It's something that um, we must define ourselves. It's personal. Yes. Even the idea of spirituality, I find it to be the same way. It's a very personal kind of journey or uh, realization. Although we can see the benefits or perhaps the results of getting to those understandings by seeing the actions of human beings. Some of us engage in um, uh, compassionate work and loving ideas, visions. So I I kind of can see, that's the way I can see it. In your bio, you said something that caught my attention. You say, Megan believes that we truly cannot achieve health without mental health. Mm -hmm. So what is to be healthy in general, um, from your perspective. And how would you define mental health? What is to be mentally healthy?
2: I define mental health and overall health is on, as a spectrum. Yeah. Uh, is being able to fluidly move through every different challenge or, or positive experience that we encounter. So if somebody were to go to the doctor and get results that maybe worry them or scare them, or they have a, a health scare that requires um, Western medical attention, um, I feel that they, I feel that as long as there is an understanding that that is a spectrum and one part of what they're going through or what they are experiencing in their life. Um, So I, I think that overall health is being able to experience multiple sides of of something so physical health like that narrows it down right to your physical body let's say so like i say um you know somebody goes to the doctor and they have they they learn something that they don't necessarily know what's going on they have to do more tests but they get up in the morning and they go for a walk or they do their exercise or they eat a well-balanced diet and drink their water it doesn't mean that they're unhealthy It just means that there is something specific in their body that needs to be examined further. And same with with mental health. So I really, and that's a big goal in my practice is to color outside of the lines and not be so, and help people to not be so rigid in the lines. Well, if I have a, if I have a, a blood test that says this, then that means that I'm sick. Yeah. It doesn't. It means that you have a blood test that you need to have further work up on.
0: Right. Would you say that is actually embracing the human experience as they come? Because that's what we see clearly that life is all about, change, fundamentally change. That makes a lot of sense to me, Megan. Uh, It's a very beautiful way of defining mental health and health in general, being open to life as it happens. I see that clearly my past, where I was I had the tendency to being stuck in certain experiences because for some reason, it just kind of focused so much the attention to one thing, a negative thing that happened, that I would forget everything else, as you mentioned earlier about having moments. So, and you made me think about um, how when you're kind of going through all the experiences that we can have in a day, why to focus in them? In moments that are not challenging or not as pleasant. Do mm-hmm. you also think that this is something that is embedded within our own brain, animal brain? I think
2: it's I think it's classical conditioning. I think it's and it's taught or innately taught. So we are we are behavioralistic. We we learn our we learn from behaviors that are modeled for us. So, um, in some settings, you know, having a complaint is a way of having acceptance in that social group. Um, so it becomes, the more you do it, then the more it's that practice, right? The more you do it, the more, the stronger that muscle gets. Yes. Uh, so it's taking that step back. And I use traffic as an example, yeah. because wherever you live, you experience traffic. It's yes. a very, it's a universal <laughs> complaint of everybody. That's I've yet true. to meet a person who says, I love traffic.
0: <laughs> Although I don't drive, yet, but I can see that being a, an issue.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I don't drive because I'm not good at it. I'm very bad at it. I would get an accident every second. So I just refrain from it. But yeah... Please um, continue with that example because it's a good one. I agree. It's a very good one. So why do we get so worked up about traffic? I see with my husband too, he tends to be so calm at home and then all of a sudden, there's a shift and then he becomes annoyed by anything that anybody
2: does. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) That's a really interesting question. So it actually, for each individual person, I believe that it's a unique reason. So, um, I really am rooted in cognitive behavioral theory in my practice. So the way that I explain this, I'm just going to give you a tiny background on that. So cognitive behavioral theory says that every person has a core negative belief about themselves. And it's something that usually generates in childhood. The experience could have been a traumatic one with a capital T or it could have been something very benign or minor trauma with a lowercase T. And, but that's their human experience. That's what they experienced. And, and somehow, and for some reason, the brain says based on that experience, I now believe that I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or I'm not lovable or I don't deserve this. And then what happens over time is that the brain then finds other examples in any situation that we experience in life to support that theory. And it files it away into a little folder like we have on our computers. You know, we put files into folders that are have similar topics and, and then anytime an experience happens, that makes me feel subconsciously that, I'm not safe, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not worthy. There's a reaction. There's an emotional reaction, a physiological reaction, a reaction in your body, and a behavioral reaction. And a lot of what I do with my clients is help them. We go through very specific situations to untangle this. And so with traffic, for example, um, bringing it back to traffic, it may be that You know, if I get cut off when I'm driving on the highway and I get annoyed, then maybe my brain is making it mean that I'm not good enough. So that person doesn't see my safety as important. And then I have a reaction, a behavioral reaction, annoyance, um, or anger, right? Uh, Or yelling, um, or honking the horn. So, and, and, and that's a simple way for it to come out. And we are so uh, unconsciously aware that that's happening in the background.
0: Yeah. That's a powerful analogy. Of course, the example is really good. And you made me think about my husband, and every time when he does that, um, he becomes angry, right? A lot of times, annoyed. Mm-hmm. I think anger is a little has more charge, more emotional. It's heavier, but so I think it's annoyed. According to the behavior theory, so it's uh, actually that belief that I'm not good enough. So somebody's trying to cut me off. Um,
2: yeah, it could be I'm not good enough, or it could be if it's if it's about time management. Right. So if we get annoyed or angry that we're stuck in traffic, then, and it's not the same for every situation. So if it's that I left a few minutes late for whatever reason, and now I'm going to be late to my, my lunch with my friends or my doctor's appointment or to work, then all of a sudden it's a different set of emotions are coming up and a different root cause.
0: Right. But I can see that what you mentioned earlier about the steps to a good life, self-empathy, which I mm-hmm. call self-worth or self-love. So that's such a major practice, isn't it, Megan?
2: Every day, all day.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. It becomes so clear to me. And th- would you say that that's rooted in uh, in fear, basically? Uh-
2: Self-empathy?
0: Yeah, the lack of it, the lack of self-empathy.
2: I think it's something that we aren't taught. And if we're not taught it, we're not exposed to it, then we don't know what we don't know. So we do what we know.
0: Right. Uh, It's just we are repeating patterns of behavior without any
2: awareness Mm -hmm. because somebody going back to the traffic could have all of those experiences get frustrated get upset you know have that deep-rooted feeling and then walk into their lunch and be totally fine that's the empathy like okay i got upset for a moment i'm gonna take a deep breath before i go into this next social interaction i'm allowed to get frustrated from time to time but i'm gonna move on now because that's not going to define my whole day or who I am as a person.
0: Mm, Yes, right. Uh, That sounds wonderful to me. So that would mean somebody who is engaging with the practice every day, very aware. My practice is spiritual, and I noticed that the more I engage my spiritual practices, the less annoyed I become with things that usually would annoy me a lot. And it doesn't last long. And it mm-hmm. used to be yep. perhaps a whole day. Now it's um, half a day. I, I hope it's much less than that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so practice. Yeah, you know, I used to think that we would come to these realizations about ourselves, and then everything would be perfectly like, fine. Wrong I guess. anymore. <laughs> yeah, like like we have you know the idea of miracle. Oh, one day I would just become this uh, miracle human being, and nothing will ever happen again. Nothing negative.
2: I worked in um, a clinic with kids huh. for a while and in a hospital setting. And I had a wand, like yes. a toy yeah. wand that, that <laughs> it had a, a star <laughs> at the top of it. And yeah. the doctors or the nurses would come to me like, Megan, you have to come to this room right now. So-and-so's crying. And I would go in with my magic wand and I would play with them. And, and you know, it was a joke amongst the providers because it's, you know, thinking that I can fix that. I can fix the crime with my magic wand. Um, but really it was just a form of distraction and and acceptance. It's okay that this little kid is crying. It's okay that I got upset at traffic. It is okay to have feelings that are not always pleasant or positive. It's what we do with that information. It's how we allow ourselves to have that moment and how we move forward from that. Wow.
0: Yeah, so true. So listening. And of course, some of the uh, the experiences we have that are not pleasant, they are communicating something. They are trying to tell us something. So it's important to listen to that too. I was very good at ignoring everything that was uh, unpleasant and became this very positive person. But it's it was a way of distracting myself from the truth because I was not ready to engage with anything that... Would show me the reality behind my traumas and everything. So I remember doing that, and I'm very careful these days not to not to treat anything anything that happens that's unpleasant as try to convert that into something positive. I like the idea of listening. And just quietly, just, as you said, kind of dissecting the information, although we didn't use the word dissecting, but it, it is information. So I, I love the idea of kind of learning from whatever that's happening. But actually, more than learning, it's um, being able to see the what is true about what's happening, the reality behind it, the nature of mm-hmm. whatever it is. It's a spiritual practice, but it's very close to... Psychology, I have to say, <laughs> because it is going into the the depth of the mind. And it is. Uh, yeah, it's a very interesting thing. Well, we won't talk about this today and we are almost at the end. But would you like to make a comment about that, Megan?
2: <laughs> I think that they they mirror each other, but similar to spirituality, psychology has to be accepted and the person has to be open to learn and i think that that's the first step to all of it is that willingness to learn something new and what i think is so important and so beautiful is that there's many modalities to do that there's spirituality there is um there's psychology there's uh religion there's um self-help techniques out there. And and it's not one size fits all. And each person needs to find what resonates with them.
0: So true. And there is um, readiness and of course, being willing, being ready. That's a very, very good point. I remember not being, not being ready. I was not ready to see the truth. So, and you can't really force that process. You can't. Right. It goes for therapy, right? Healing, just engaging with healing. Uh, Not everyone's ready. Speaking of therapy, I want to mention the services that you offer. Individual therapy, distance therapy, qualified supervision, one-on-one. What is qualified supervision one-on-one, Megan?
2: So I am a qualified supervisor for uh, the state of Florida. So what that means is that when somebody graduates with their master's in social work, they have to complete uh, two years of supervision before they can get their license in order to be an individual practitioner or uh, in their own, like, under their own license. So uh, it's a post-master's uh, requirement for licensure. And I I am a... I work with those individuals to help them reach the point of their license.
0: So, yeah, that's good to know. I'll have your website link on this podcast interview profile. Are you open to new clients, Megan, at this time?
2: I am. Uh, I am. So I do uh, telehealth yeah. um, in, in the state of Florida. And I also do um, in-person therapy. And I meet people out in... Public in by the beach, at a park, at a bench. Sometimes we walk around their neighborhood, depending on their life set of circumstances. And, um, I that's where I conduct my therapy sessions. So I really feel that, uh, therapy doesn't have to be behind a closed door, especially when we live in such a beautiful place. And I, I use being out in public and being in. And in, out in the environment as a way to model and teach coping skills. Yeah. So, um, and most of my clients really enjoy it.
0: I love that. That caught my attention. And I have it here as a note. Do you see a difference for yourself as a therapist? Do you notice the difference it makes when the environment is changed? It's different?
2: I do. I think that it allows people to feel human. Uh, when you go to the doctor's office or you go to a therapist's office, everything happens behind a closed door and it happens like that because of privacy and, but also it can bring a level of shame or um, of that this is something that can only be talked about behind a closed door um, or it is something that should only be talked about behind a closed door. And I think that mental health support already has that stigma and it's getting better. Uh, But being out for a walk on the beach, nobody's listening to my conversation that I'm having with someone. Um, And it allows for that, that experience to be more open. And, and I think it is in that in and of itself is a way to begin help clients move towards acceptance. I have had people who say, no, you know, I'm going through something really, really challenging right now. I really feel like I need to be in an office and I respect that. Yeah. And then I let them know that I'm not necessarily the right therapist for them.
0: Right. Right. Wow. I love this idea though. And I usually say that I've said here many times that I see therapists as a best friend that's what it comes across to me, talking to you, beautiful people. And that would be even better to have, um, you know, to just go for a walk on the beach with the best friend <laughs> have a, mm-hmm. an open conversation. It just sounds really wonderful and freeing. So thank you for embracing this vision, this idea, this concept. It's very light. It sounds almost like playful to me. So that really helps when it comes to the dealing with challenges, especially uh, psychological issues. So what a wonderful gift. Thank you, Megan, for being you with your beautiful ideas. Thank you. And another point, something else that caught my attention. Yes, I think it's in your bio too. You say, I am passionate about making sure that therapy is accessible to all. So the questions are, is therapy becoming more accessible to everyone at this time? And what is your approach when it comes to that?
2: I do think that it is becoming a lot more accessible. I think telehealth has has made that possible. I think um, apps, so apps there's out there are like <clears throat> Talkspace or BetterHelp, and I know there's several other ones. Um, I do think it allows for the it it, it to be more accessible in that manner, excuse me. However, I think, I I think of people who call multiple therapists and they can't get in for a month or two weeks. And when I meet with my clients, I always ask them, what made you make that call? Because they, they, Everybody hits their point where they say, okay, I'm doing this. They pick up the phone and they actually call. The thought may have been in their mind for a month, a week, a year, however long. But what happened? And when something happens, I want my clients to know that I am available for them. I don't want them to have to wait a month to get in. They may have to wait a few days, uh, but I really... I, I'm very flexible in my schedule, also with boundaries for myself and my personal life, but right. I'm very flexible in my schedule for that. And I want to make sure that people feel like they they're not just a number.
0: That's really beautiful of you, though. It's generous actually. And well, I see also you being very aware. That comes from awareness. Uh, throughout this human experience we know and uh, with that in mind it actually caught my attention to when you spoke about somebody being ready picking up the phone maybe they thought for a year and then they didn't what makes us ready to heal megan
2: um it's my favorite answer and uh-huh. it's the worst <laughs> answer i can give <laughs> yes um and that's it depends mm. It depends. Each person is different. It could be a small thing. It could be a really big thing. Right. Um, It just depends.
0: So true. And that goes for trauma too, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Some people can get traumatized with small... I mean, it might seem small to me, but it's uh, not for them. So true. See, you're very aware of these things. And I absolutely love the way you talk about being open to experiences, challenging ones. And it's okay to feel our feelings. Yeah, that's something that I have learned from. Oh my God, hundreds of therapists, of interviews with um, mm-hmm. with you, wonderful people. That it's it always goes back to that. Freedom has to do with allowing our feelings to flow, to just
2: mm-hmm. be here, just come and go. And it's probably one of the hardest
0: oh, yeah. concepts <laughs> yes, to yes. master, right? And it is. That's why you talked earlier, you mentioned over and over about practice, right? Which mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. So it has been wonderful to talk to you and listen to these visions that you have. Actually, you are living your own truth and you are you are not just delivering a message or a vision, but you are living it. You are yes. the vision, the message. That's, I mean, it's very close to my heart when I see human beings living their purpose, if we can call it that, or calling And I wanted to mention again that I almost made the comment earlier about when you you talked about the wand, (laughs) I thought about fairy, (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, you look like a fairy. (laughs) That would make a lot of sense. (laughs) And then the miracles, I mean, it's just, everything just comes together. (laughs) So my ending questions, I'll ask you this one. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before we lose our bodies, before we die?
2: What three experiences yeah. I think I'm gonna make them very broad. Yeah. Mindfulness yeah. or yeah. presence. Yeah. Um joy yeah. and understanding. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, um. no, science and spirituality, <laughs> it comes to mind. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yes, mindfulness, presence, joy, and understanding, which I, I do when I think about all of them, I think about love, the idea of love that Absolutely. most of us have. Thank you so much, Megan, for sharing your presence, for doing what you do, having the courage to come from the heart. And engage with this reality the way you do. And for the deep understandings, the awareness you have about yourself and others. Thank you. Thank you. And before we say goodbye for today, where is the best place to find more information about you?
2: Uh, My website is probably the best place. It's uh, www.buenavidafl.com.
0: Wonderful. I have the link and that will be also on your podcast profile. Thank you again and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Megan.
2: Okay, thanks.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Megan Kasabe and her work, please visit BuenaVidaFL.com.